Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Duncan Gorman and in this episode I sat down with George and Fiona Stewart, the co-founders of Falkirk Distillery. I kicked things off by asking what inspired them to build their very own distillery. So my dad, I'll refer to as George, um, he was involved in the water industry a long time ago, compliments of a friendship with a gentleman called Alan Rutherford, uh, who's given an OBE for his services to the whiskey industry. And from there, it kind of grew organically, didn't it? So yeah, the water, so. artesian well on this site, and then thereafter, obviously, it was almost like the tail that wagged the dog, i.e. we had the water supply, good quality water supply, and then thereafter, he decided to go into distillation, and we've never looked back, have we, nope, George? That's correct, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and as I say, this is a family-run venture. Um, how has that impacted what you've done so far? So yeah, I'll leave that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, a family venture. So with that, um, there's obviously the vagaries of uh, upsets of uh, two family members working together. <laughs> and as, I, as we referred to my mother earlier in the interview, she's, she's found it very taxing watching the two of us, or particularly my dad, working seven days a week building, building this. So um, all in all, it's been taxing emotionally and also financially. Um, because it's no mean venture building a distillery, no. particularly a distillery of this size, because there's not many independents that have the, the, the volume that we have. So, um, and that was once again, thanks to my, George, to my father, George, who could see the future, i.e., you know, with a bigger distillery like this, you know, we can feed a, we've got good, we can feed a route to market and um, there. Do you want to add anything to that? Yes, I think that you're right there, Fiona. We've done a lot of traveling, uh, uh, yeah. your mum and I have been to around the world twice and we saw the uh, how much whiskey, Scotch whiskey is in the, uh, is a favourite for a lot of people it's very a wee bit more expensive than other whiskies the rye's and the Irish but if you want a special occasion you want Scotch whiskey and I thought that's a good business to be in and and also because the uh, the heritage of the Scots whisky market, and that's why we're here today, you know. And almost entirely self-funded, which in itself is quite unique. Yes, it's, uh, it's not just unique. I think it's remarkable. Um, but on the flip side of that, you can imagine the sleepless nights because, as my father always says, it's not about just building the distillery; it's actually running it. And I remember when we first started uh, commissioning back in two thousand and twenty. Everybody said, you know, the hard work is just to be about to begin. Now, bearing in mind, uh, my father, George, has been on it since 2008. That only filled us with dread. <laughs> or me, should I say. But we're here now. We've got a fully functioning business. I'd like to think we have anyway. Um, you know, we're all about compliance. Um, and, yeah, there's so many layers to the business. It's incredible. Um, but now we're fully in it. We're enjoying it. We love the industry. It's a very collaborative industry. And people are generally very helpful, aren't they? Very helpful, yes. Because against our electrical business where it's kind of cutthroat in the whiskey industry, everybody seems to help one another. So it's, it's a nice uh, business to be in. And going back to the sort of family aspect, do you think that it's changed anything about the way that you run the distillery and the way that you built the distillery? Well, uh, to be honest, all the businesses that my father has been involved in, it's all about family, you know. My dad is uh, now employing grandchildren of his, uh, his 
first kind of brand of um, people that work for him. So it's to me, distillation or whiskey distillation should be about family. That's what it was, you know, back in back in the days that were. So we were trying to kind of instill that within what we do and also in terms of how the industry looks at us as well. So, yeah, I mean, as I said to you, alluded to you before, we've got a very small team, but everybody cares. You know, everybody cares about what they're doing. They care, care about us and we care about them accordingly. So um, good, good values there. And so now to the location of the distillery. You were able to build a distillery and you've chosen to build one here in Falkirk. Why was it that you chose Falkirk? Hey, because they're teasing well. That was the most important thing. Most important thing for whiskey is to have good water, not town water or anything like that. And as we owned the land around here, we went to the British Geological Society <coughs> and they identified with two Artesian wells. And the, uh, that was the, the fact that made us decide here. Because of other locations as well, but because of the Artesian well, most important thing is good water. And that's why we're here today. But then as a, as a I suppose a byproduct of that is the fact that we're right in the middle um, of the central belt of Scotland. You know, in terms of visitors, I mean, Falkirk, prior to COVID, um, they were bringing in something like 800,000 visitors to the Helix. Um, the, the canal, um, the, the, the wheel, that was 480,000 visitors. Mm. So the face of Falkirk is very much changing from industrial to now being a kind of very much a tourist location, as it were. So with that, um, we get, would obviously get the draw for tourists and everything else. And as you can see in the layout of the distillery, it's been built with visitors in mind. And that was once again, thanks to the collaboration between Tom Pollock, our architects, and uh, George. And Forsyth as well. Yes. So a combination of Forsyth. It seems like, obviously I've been reading up on you guys a little bit. What you've done is you've always had the community in mind as well. What do you think it means to the community having the distillery here? Well, when we first uh, made the application, I think we had about 390 odd letters of support, support for the going forward because of the location, the Antonine Wall. They were very much, the planners were against it uh, because of the, uh, the closeness to the Antonine Wall. And when we made the application, as I say, with 390 letters of support, which is fantastic, and I think it was because they, uh, they wanted a whiskey industry. If you think Barzai and Brew, way back in 1903, because of the water again, and that's been a success. And I thought, well, people are Falkirk, we don't have carn works or all the foundries and everything else. And I think this is a good thing. That's why they've supported us. They've given us a lot of support, the people and the town, you know, so there we are. So just going back to the water source, I can't think of many other distilleries where their water source you can see from the still house. That's quite unique as well. Huh? You mean our little jaunty pump house with the, <laughs> uh, the whiskey barrel at a certain angle. That's going to be art going forward, public art. Yeah, wow. So always had that public in mind, but uh, yeah, I suppose we're one of the few that, that you can actually um, uh, visualize the, the pump house. And when the engineer was putting it up, he had a good dram the night before. Not our whiskey, certainly. And that's why he put it up a little bit off the street. <laughs> <laughs> so you're quite obviously a very modern distillery. There are quite a few other distilleries popping up at the moment. How do you plan on standing out from the rest? Well, we're not trying to be diversionary or um, by any shape of the imagination. As, you know, as alluding to our, our new mate spirit, 
uh, a couple of uh, people in the industry said it's the best new make spirit on the market. I've kept a very simple formula, simple maturation process. Um, but where we are in comparison to other independents, because we're not competing with the big corporate um, companies, is that we have scalability. And of course, we're not nearly at scale just now, but in the fullness of time, this will be, this will be singing 24 hours a day. Um, so I suppose, and, and how do we, that's one of the reasons we stand out is because obviously we have that scalability and also the fact that we've got a, a, an iconic building that mm. um, is going to be here for years. I mean, there's not many distilleries, I have to say, that have got this uh, grandeur that we have. Yeah, and this brings me perfectly onto my next question, which is, you know, this process of building a distillery. I understand you did have quite a few problems with a certain wall, but we'll get onto that just a little bit later. And you've paid homage very much to the traditional nature of the whiskey industry in much of the architecture here. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, we involved a uh, uh, Tom Pollock, a famous uh, architect in Linlithgow. And as you know, in Linlithgow, we've got St Magdalene's the, uh, distillery there, which some of the buildings are still there which we have registered names, so we have that in our portfolio. And the, uh, the heritage there from Linlithgow. And, and earlier on when we were building houses, I bought the bonded warehouses and stupidly knocked them down at that time way back in 2000. But they also had a chap called Harry Coburn. Harry worked in the whiskey industry all his days. So Harry and Tom Pollock and that, the engineers, they did, did the design of the building. And that's why I think we've got quite a nice building looking and very much heritage with the whiskey industry with old buildings, you know, rather than the new ones, which don't resemble distilleries. I think this looks like a distillery, you know, when you first see it. I think when the question in terms of the, the building itself, obviously we've got the two pagodas, um, which were built in um, our engineering business, but they obviously don't really serve us a purpose, apart from being obviously aesthetically pleasing. But that's paying homage to the old maltings back in the day. So it is a brand new distillery, but it, it is, it's the characteristics of the traditional distillery have been incorporated as much as we possibly can, while obviously looking to um, open the doors to visitors. So as George has said in the past, a lot of these older distilleries, you're up and down, it's like a bit of a rabbit hole. It's a very seamless process for visitors. They come through this door, they go in up the stairs, all the lifts, and then they, they walk past the entire process, down the other side, through the shop, they get access into our traditional Dunnage warehouse, which you can maybe talk about um, mm -hmm. later on. So um, it, it's, it's a seamless exercise mm -hmm. in terms of visitors, as yeah. well as the, the process as well. And you mentioned it there. Another thing I wanted to talk about was the Dunnage warehouses that you have here on site. Tell me a little bit about those. Who built them? Well, these uh, warehouse, uh, the bonded warehouses are traditional. <coughs> Uh, with the uh, gr uh, soil and the ground with the barrels on the runners. And uh, we've done it traditionally with brick because that's uh, old English brick or the old Scottish brick. So it looked like the old uh, Dunnage uh, buildings rather than the cladding with steel cladding and all that. So with as much heritage as we can get into the distillery to try and make it as much old worldly and back to the how whiskey was originally uh, stored and things like that. We're trying to keep as much heritage and giving it a good feel factor for people who when they come here realize or recognize it as a distillery rather than a, 
uh, new buildings and things like that. If, the man who died a hundred years ago came back here today and looked at that bonded warehouse. He would think it was built then. So that's what we've done. We've kept all the heritage here and the same as the other second bonded warehouse, all done with traditional brick. Very expensive, by the way. Very expensive now to build the bonded warehouses because of the labour uh, and the uh, traditional things that were bricks, which are all manufactured or handmade and all these things is against a sheet of cladding which you can put up in five minutes. You could have the building built within about three or four weeks, which takes us about five months to build a traditional building. But then we've got the heritage in behind it, you know, I think anyway. Can I possibly add to that as well? Um, and also in terms of the quality of spirit, um, as you know, maturation they say 60%. Um, so the, with a traditional brick, it helps with the ventilation, which is incredibly important. Um, and it gives you a much more even maturation process. So, they, I mean, it's not just obviously in terms of heritage, but it's, it's also about the quality of spirit at the end of the day that we're thinking about as well. I was chatting to the distillery manager, Stuart Hughes, earlier, and about that kind of in line with this sort of mix between new and old. And he was telling me about your stills and the equipment that you have inside the distillery, like your mash tun and the spirit safe. Very much old within you there. That's right. Actually, they're 58 year old now, 58 years old. And they came for Caper Donock which is the sister uh, distillery of Glen Grant, and it was Glen Grant number two. And it was across the main road from the main distillery, Glen, Glen Grant. And it was said at the time that the locals could tap into the pipes that were running the spirit back up into the main distillery. And there was a combination, there was slight thievage going on. And they said, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't until they knocked the buildings down for size, utilised them for manufacturing of the stills. They did realise there was a pipe coming from, <laughs> from the old distillery and the locals were getting some free whiskey. But, uh, allegedly. 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 And Forsyth, his father, was involved in making them a way back. Of course, Richard's now about 70, I think. So it was his grand, uh, his father who made them before. And the, uh, Can I just ask you, is, he, is Richard Forsyth actually younger than you, Dad? No, you've got, you've got the Richard Senior, uh -huh. who's my age, oh, at 71, I think. You've got a son, who's probably your age, and but his father before him, they were in the business all these years making the stills and the, uh, as I say, washbacks and, the, uh, and also, as I say, the mash tons. But what I was actually saying is somebody's actually younger in the industry than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, uh, as... You were saying um, it is very much a mixture of the old and the new, but it's also a mixture of the lowland and the space side as, as well. You know, so um, so there's the heritage, but there's also the additional fact that you know we can run the plant essentially with two or three uh, operators, which is quite incredible as well. And you're looking to open up a restaurant on site as well. What might that look like? Well, we can show you that because that's built. It's just a case of fitting it out. It, sh it, was, it could take 120, it's quite a big restaurant, and you'll see that with the shop. And the, as I say, we've got uh, 15 miles from Edinburgh, we've got a lot of people coming for the Kelpies, and also for the wheel to see <coughs> the boat's been lifted 300 feet up there from one canal, from the Union Canal up to the Caledonia. So with everything all going here, very lucky. And as I was saying to you there, the young lady, 
from Glen Grant to uh, where the Cape Donna distillery was, she was said to me, you are in the central belt, tremendous amount of visitors. And true, if they want to see the real heritage, they go up to Speyside to see the distilleries. But you're losing a day, maybe going up and a day coming back. Here, people who are visiting Edinburgh and things, they can come out here for a quick tour. In fact, we've had a lot of bus companies and these asking when we will officially be open so they can come and tour and their way through to see the Kelpies or through to see the wheel. So we're quite fortunate here where we are, you know. That was one of our other decisions as well, you know, uh, for an income, you know. For well, the, the restaurant, I mean, I, I mean, it's obviously taking a slightly longer for the visitors experience, but, you know, obviously it took us such a long period of time to actually start distilling. We're not in any rush to, to, to get the restaurant up and running. It's really, it's a question of make sure that we match the quality of spirit that we're doing. So it's, everything has to be premium, premium, premium. So ideally it'll be some kind of gastropub, as it were. You know, we're not talking Michelin style by any shape of the imagination, but it has to be quality. And um, so you're looking to possibly open up, if things go well, um, the sort of visitor side experience in the summer possibly? Third quarter of this year, yes. And um, you can see that we're actually working on it just now. Yeah. So. Well, um, it's, it's underway, yes, but um, there's obviously a lot of work still to be done, yes. So one of the conditions when <clears throat> we eventually got the planning after four year deliberation, uh, Scottish ministers decided to give us the planning and one of the conditions was nothing could be built till the distillery was actually up and running and actually producing spirit. And that's why the restaurant and the, the shop I've been late and getting <coughs> built <coughs> it's because of the restrictions on the conditions. And of course, when we started making the spirit whiskey in 2000, <coughs> 2020, COVID came in and that set us back as well, you know. So you have alluded to it a couple of times during this conversation, but you did run across quite a unique problem in the construction of the distillery, the Antonine Wall. If you look out the window, you can see where the Antonine Wall was. You can actually see it from here. And of course, it got uh, status as a world heritage site. So that gave us a lot more uh, obstacles to try and overcome. So when we applied, um, the wall hadn't been given world heritage status. Of course, as when the, the site actually, or the planning application uh, was decided, it, it just happened to tie in with uh, the Antonine Wall we'll be giving world heritage mm -hmm. status. So, in its wisdom, obviously, um, the Historic Scotland back then decided to use our site as a test case in terms of settings, which I'm not going to get into. Um, I'm by no means an expert regarding that, but it, it set the project back considerably. Yeah. But as uh, George was saying... Financially as well, set us back quite a well. Four years to get planning. And I think, to be honest, now some of the people who were against it, actually even Historic Scotland, uh, now that they've been said it's a, an asset and it's turned out good, it looks the part, and I think it adds to the, the history of well, the town as well. Yeah, in terms of heritage, you know, it, it, it definitely there's, there's, there's more that can be done in terms of branding on the back of that, even though we wouldn't have said that a few years ago. Yeah. But there's a gentleman that will remain nameless who was an archaeologist for Falkirk Council. And he objected to the planning application for a number of years because of obviously the proximity to the wall. And he came out through an invitation of myself to see us about three years ago. And he said, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but this is magnificent. This is history in the making. So that was rather nice. 
And just for those who don't know at home, and I wasn't very familiar with this either, the wall was constructed over a 12-year period from 142 AD between the Firth of Clyde in the west and the Firth of Forth in the east, um, marking the most northerly point of Roman occupation in the UK, which is an incredible thing to have on your doorstep. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and may I say, I mean, because this is in the fullness of time will become a cultural asset, and I hope people protect this when we're sadly no longer around. So yeah, we understand the significance and the value of that, of the wall and the, the entire cultural heritage of the area. Scotland, we're very, very lucky in terms of our cultural assets, you know, and they should be protected accordingly. And we, whatever we do, we always take cognizance into the fact that we are lucky enough, as you said, to have the, the Antonine Wall, the World Heritage Site on our doorstep. There is another historical site nearby, um, which is believed to be where the Battle of Falkirk took place. That's just a stone's throw from here, is it? Yes, uh-huh. Literally, if you cast your eye out to the left, you can uh, see it across the road. Mumrail's Fort. No, the Battle of Falkirk was up by the wheel. Oh, no, 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 no. There's also, there's also an argument is that was across the road. All right. So I'd rather run with the argument that was across the road. But mind you, we don't want any battles on our <laughs> I think, I think, I think, to be honest, we've had a few battles <laughs> along the merry yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. And somebody said, don't die in the ditch. Uh, but anyway. And so do you think going forward, you know, when we talk about that sort of visitor experience, do you think these sort of historical events and sort of landmarks that are nearby, do you think that's going to play a role? Absolutely. And also um, we're duty banned in terms of our Section 75 agreement um, with the council to have interpretive boards and the like. So in the fullness of time, we'll have obviously the site landscaped and we'll have some um, Roman artefacts made um, uh, so yeah, so we'll be drawing on that heritage as well to enhance our visitors' experience. You can read more about Falkirk Distillery and the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society's Members Magazine, Unfiltered, or go to smws.com to find out more about the Society, the world's leading whiskey club, and start your whiskey journey now. That's it for this episode of Whiskey Talk. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>